This is the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am Scott May. In the studio we have today, we have Dan Carey. and hey, we dear. Yeah, we have Dennis Rufner back again. How you doing, Dennis? Doing good, Scott. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you both back, er, well, Dan, of course, is here all the time, but one of the reasons I wanted to bring you guys together is because, you know, over the course of this summer, as we've been talking about IPA, as we've been talking about Pilsner, uh, even going back to, you know, um, in, in Imperial Weizenbach, back in the in the fall this idea of the brand calendar kept coming up and it didn't really dawn on me how sort of unique this thing kind of is in the way it's evolved and i wanted to sort of dig into the history of of that brand calendar being that's our 30th anniversary and, and, and all that. And you suggested we bring in Dennis too, because, you know, you know, so the sales lead would have a good, a good idea about how this, these discussions sort of happen. Well, he, he lives and breathes by these types of things. So he's a lot more schooled on it than I am. So, and, and Dennis, I'm sorry, I'm going to start with a question for Dan, uh, just because, you know, as this is the, the brewery's 30th anniversary, when you first started those the the back in the um you know the old the old warehouse was the idea of a brand calendar on your mind or was the or was it more just like holy crap we got to make some beer now oh yeah it was definitely holy holy crap we got to make beer no brand calendar wasn't really you can't have a brand calendar until you know which end is up so uh we were trying to find our way in the dark so when you brewed Edelpils, was it like okay we know we're leading off with this we wanted to do a pilsner did you already have your second, your second sort of brand in the, in the hopper or, or how did that, the planning of that sort of stage out? Okay. So when we started the brewery, when we were thinking about the brewery, we wrote a business plan and Deb did the bulk of the business plan, but we both worked on it together. And, um, we had a vision for a series of beers. We, um, Deb looked at various areas around the country and, um, one of them was Madison and so Madison area. So we, we wrote the business plan around starting a brewery in Madison for, for a lot of reasons. And we had an idea of the beers that we wanted to make because we looked at the competition, which is what you do when you write a business plan. Yeah. And at that point it was, um, uh, Uber brewery, it was Sprecher and capital. And so, um, Sprecher and capital were kind of the big dogs as far as craft beer and they were making Amber lager. So we didn't want to do that. We, I always say in, in this podcast that we want to go our own way and not be an also ran. So yeah, they were doing, um, a, they were doing a good job at it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sprecher and Cabal Amber were spectac- spectacular beers. So, uh, we want something different. So really the, the reason that we started the brewery, the, we had a dream that Belgian red would be our big selling beer mm-hmm. and, uh, we were going to work into that. Um, but I, as I mentioned in other podcasts, uh, we're, we were big fans of the Czechoslovakian Budweiser, what, what's called Budvar in this country, or Czechvar, I guess. Um, and so that was the type of beer we wanted to make. And I, I'm really at heart a lager brewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I was trained. That was my apprenticeship. And uh, so we started out with a lager beer, and which was also kind of weird because no craft brewers are making lager beers as far as I know at that point, they were all making ales, pale ales and stouts and porters, except for uh, Capital and Sprecher being Wisconsin. Here in the, so, the heart of America's German country. Yeah, genau. So um, we, uh, 
we said we start with the Adel Pills, and then I had in one of my previous jobs I had made a, a Bach beer, and uh, it had gone over really well. So we were going to make a Bach beer, and being a, um, in a Swiss town surrounded by Norwegians, Deb thought it was funny to call the beer Ufta, a Norwegian expletive, in the middle of a Swiss town uh, as a joke. So that was uh, our second beer that we came out with, and I believe then we came out with Belgian Red. So. We kind of started with those three to get our bearings, and it was a few years before we made an ale. We made a um, our first ale was called uh, Jester Jester mm-hmm. Ale, and that was uh, again a joke because um, it was a short lived beer, but uh, it was the first time we used the yeast that we ended up using for making our snowshoe ale, and we still use it for our stouts. Um, but it was kind of a joke um, because making lager beer was about precision and time and um, much, much more difficult and making ale was kind of fast and simple. And so hence the name Jester. Well, I, you, you never kind of cease to surprise me in here. Like I, I thought I had known most of the beers you'd made. I had, I admit I've never heard of Jester. What kind of ale was this? It was a uh, a pale ale. A pale ale? So yeah. Jester pale ale? It was more of an English style uh, beer, uh, leaning a little bit amber uh, amber ale. Well, and, and Dennis, so from sort of the early beginnings, it seems like what, you know, what you're, you're basically saying, Dan, is like, yeah, you just, you kind of, you make what you're going to make. And then if it becomes into a brand, like uh, you, you sort of, you can't have a brand calendar until you develop your brand. And well, we, there's two things that can be said. We had a business plan and we have religiously held that business plan, I think had five years of projections and we still, that business plan, we're still adhering to more or less. Okay. Adel pills is not our number one selling beer, but the mission that we set out to to do that Deb wrote in that business plan is still the mission that we follow. However, you have to like in everything, you have to look for like rock climbing. You have to look for toeholds mm-hmm. and you have an idea which way you're going to go, but you have to find opportunities and, and you're, you're still going up. You're still trying to reach the summit. Yeah. Uh, you have one direction, but your toeholds and opportunities may be different and maybe it starts raining and or it starts snowing and you have to react. So even though we're following the same direction, we react it and adapt it and look for opportunities. And so Dennis, you come in, you know, uh, what did you say before? Like 2014? 2014, yeah. So, and the job you had before you, uh, in the last podcast we were talking uh, with you, you know, you're working for a distributor and you're kind of seeing how much new Glarus is just sort of going, going out the door and I think, you know, when you have a beer that hits, right, when you have something that really catches a zeitgeist and catches a moment and becomes a flagship, which is something I, I would assume every beer brewer and brewery would want, right? But it can sort of eclipse the fact that you have a lot of other moving parts, a lot of other beers going out the door. When you came in in, in 2014, were you a bit shocked at the just breadth of brands that were under this umbrella? Yes, I'm, oh, I, I think I said in my interview with Deb uh, when I was working for a distributor, I sell 15 or 20 brands with 15 or 20 beers under those brands. If I came to New Glarus, I'm talking about one brand with 20 brands underneath. I'm going to smile every day because my focus is going to be pristine on each one of those brands to, su- to succeed. Uh, that's what Dan's putting his hard work and his, his team is putting hard work into. I want to see that every brand that makes that brand calendar succeed in, in the time that it's supposed to be out in the market. So, yes, it was a fresher breath of air, but 
I saw the competition right away. How do we how do we improve Spotted Cow? How do we improve Moon Man? How do we improve Totally Naked? How do we improve Staghorn? How do we how do we keep the brands that have that have built the brewery but yet still grow and look for the innovation part of it? How do you what avenues, like Dan said, what avenues can you take a left or a right stab at to see what will build the brewery for the next 30, 40 years? So year over year, you you have these these brands that come back and you have new brands that sort of get put into the fold. How did it sort of evolve throughout your history into sort of this system of, okay, you know, things rise up to year round and then some things become seasonal, which can, I, I, I guess, can sort of happen naturally of like, well, you're not going to release, you know, an Imperial Stout in the summer or whatever. And some things become one off. How did that sort of like tiered system in your brand calendar sort of come to be, Dan? Um, well, there, there is a, a certainly a, um, a group of beers that are going to sell better than other beers. Mm-hmm. And so those would become year round beers if they're, if people continue to buy them. So it's, it's really not, us leading it's us following and reacting so we don't come up with a brand and then a marketing plan and push we are pulled by our customers 100 percent. so we put beer on the shelf and then we watch and if something sells it gets rewarded it's exactly like if, if i was a coach of a of a football team the mm-hmm. the, the the star players are the ones that uh, get the most attention and if it's if they're not doing well, they get cut. So things fall into place based on the vote of our customers. And then things have to be made, decisions have to be made as far as producing beers for a maybe a niche market. So some beers, for example, um, Staghorn Oktoberfest, yeah. just because of its name, on November 1st, you're done. You can't sell it anymore. Well, yeah. And that's an interesting conversation that you see sort of happening up is like, why, why do Oktoberfest start getting released in like August or now? now. Well, yeah, you start seeing some on the shelves now. I used to tease about that, but the reason why uh, is because somebody did it. And then, you know, bar bars, uh, taverns being taverns, if you go in there to sell your beer, they say, oh, sorry, dude, I've already got an Oktoberfest on tap and they only want to have one. So uh, if, uh, you know, if Spotten comes out with their July Fest uh, <laughs> and they lock in all the taverns, you're, you know, you're, you're done. So, yeah, so it's sort of like a two prong thing, like, A, you know, October ends and people are like, oh, I'm not buying an Oktoberfest. Yeah. But also B, on that front end, whoever's first can sometimes be all there is. Yeah, that's right. If you went uh, to the shelves in mid in mid October, you might not find any Oktoberfest. To be honest, most are gone by the end of September, early October. I mean, if you went the third week in October to find an Oktoberfest, you're not going to find many out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this has just become such an interesting discussion to me. And, and what I'm interested in is, so you guys sit down, right? And we're we're coming towards sort of. You know, I, I sort of view when Oktoberfests are coming out, like September, October, as like, and I don't know why no one's ever told me this, but like as like a full beer, a beer year is basically from October to October, right? <laughs> because I just, that line of demarcation when I know the Oktoberfests are going to come out. But so you guys start sitting down to sort of discuss your brand calendar for next year around now-ish, right? Or even a little, earlier. a little earlier from now. So how do those discussions start playing out? And what I'm like, you know, kind of interested in is like, so you have a beer like Kid Kolsch, right? And Kid Kolsch has sort of a cult following out there. It's done well year over year for three or four years. 
uh, you go, okay, well, it can take a, a year off this year, make room for Pilsner, and then Pilsner hits. So how does the discussion then become what goes on for next year, what gets pulled for next year, what becomes seasonal? How does how do those things start getting hashed out when you start having beers that almost compete on a star level with each other? You know what I mean? So like you have two star receivers, only one of them can be receiver one, right? Well, it, it's, it is a, uh, all of us that are involved in the conversation have a different agenda. Uh, so I have an agenda of what raw materials do I, do I need to buy and what recipes do I need to develop and what recipes do I need to dust off to be used again? Mm-hmm. What yeast do I need to get ready? And if it's a fruit beer, uh, or an esoteric beer, I might need to contract fruit or hops well in advance, uh, like a year in advance of when we're brewing it. Yeah. Um, so that means that I need to know what's going on. Um, uh, our, our purchasing people, they need to hear from me because (laughs) they need to actually get the orders going. And then placing the order is only the first part. Then there's the logistics of getting the materials here, whether they come from Oregon or Washington or wherever, logistically that has to happen. Um, and they have to be inventoried and stored and ready to be used. So there's those two. And then there's Dennis can speak to the probably the most important thing is is they need to know what they're going to sell and then communicate that to the wholesalers and come up with a plan because that's the most important thing because if the wholesalers are not on board it ain't going to work. And so Dennis, when you sit down at that at that meeting, what what perspective are you bringing to, to that when you start thinking about the brands and the projections for next year and just you know trying to balance, you know, what the market's asking for versus, you know, all the, all, all the other um, competing factors there. There's a lot that goes into it. Like Dan says, Dan has an agenda too. The sales team has an agenda too. What is the perfect brand calendar for the team in the market to succeed? How much can our distributors handle? Like I was talking about earlier, distributors have, at my time, was 15 to 20 brands in-house. Now it's like 40 different breweries. They have a lot on their plate. So how do you get their attention all the time to focus on brands? And that's why there's a hierarchy for it. For us, we focus on Cow Moonman, and then the brands after that they kind of go down in order. And how do we how do we ask for what package they need to be made? That makes a difference on how much barrelage I ask for Dan and his team. If we're introducing a can like we did this year for our secondary brands, that's going to go up four or five hundred barrels per brand based on where our distribution is going to go. So there's a lot that goes into it. Our sales team talked for five or six meetings prior to our meeting here in July about what they want, what the what's good, what's going on, what the outside the world of New Glarus is looking like right now, and try to put a perfect calendar together in our end. And then, as Dan said, we have an agenda going into there, and we kind of put it all together. So then there's also what the, what you know, the, the vocal fans want, right? And every, it was every July, I think, uh, you guys run your, your beer vote. Can you tell me on the back end when you get those numbers and what that looks like and how that plays into the decision-making in, in, in the brand calendar? Yeah. Uh, well, fan vote was June of this year and okay. it is, it is very meaningful by the way. Uh, we look at that. That's like one of the first things that I look at first when you see what fan favorites have we made in the past that need to come back again? Is it get close? Like you're talking about, is it dancing man? Uh, is it totally naked or is it the ask for totally naked still as much as the demand for volume is? And then you go after that and you look through those and see, oh, that's an interesting one. We haven't talked about native ale or thought about native ale in 15 years, but 100 people voted for it. I wonder why, what's going on with that style of beer? Then also there's a write-in portion of it too. In this, I think the third 
highest vote this year was written in was a pickle beer. A pickle beer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, head-scratching moment. But, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see what the consumer's looking for. And uh, it didn't make our calendar, by the way. Uh, but it's just interesting to see what the consumer is looking for from the glass from a historical standpoint and a new emerging uh, categories or styles. So very intriguing by all of that feedback. And, and what do you what do you think when you see sort of, you know, your greatest hits albums coming in on those beer votes and, and the way those numbers stack up? Uh, if I look at it not from uh, a manager and if I look at it not from the point of view of the guy that has to order raw materials, but just from from a artist, from a brewer standpoint, mm-hmm. I come to these meetings with uh, a notes that I prepare and what I'd like to brew and what I think would be fun and what I think will sell based on my experience. Because I travel around the country a lot and I, I look and I pay attention and I see which direction the market's going. I talk to other brewers. So I have my own personal sense, but I don't get out in the market much. So my my knowledge is, is maybe beer geek centric mm-hmm. and that's that's not a large part of the wisconsin drinking public but be that as it may i will come to the meeting with a list of beers that i think we we should brew and maybe some of them i'll bring the people everybody turns deb will turn to me because she, she leads these meetings and say well what what do you think dan what would you like to brew and i may say well you know x beer and, she, and she'll say nah, no that's not that's not what we're going to do because she also is paying attention mm-hmm. and knows what's going on and so i'll work down my list and and then if if it, it lends credence to my argument if if like it got three you know it got it got 90% of the votes that we should be making a, whatever, a smoked beer or something. That's what people want. And that's what I want to brew. Then that might make the cut Mm -hmm. again. Like I said, it's like choosing a roster for a football team. You know, we, we have all of these choices and we're going to have to pick what we think the lineup will be. That'll be, you know, that'll win the Super Bowl that year. And it's just a matter of trying to pick the roster that's going to work. Well, and then you, you, you know, and I think I, I I got sent a list and I'm not even sure if it's like a complete list, but it was basically like, you know, from the beginning till, you know, the release of, I think IPA, it was like 118, 118 brands. Right. So you have those basically locked in to choose from, but then you also have a creative impulse, right? So, you know, Dennis brought up like, uh, you know, the third place vote on the right and was, was a pickle beer. Now knowing you a little bit, I, I, well, how much consideration would you have given to an adjunct like a, a, a pickle in a, be, a, a pickle beer, I guess? Uh, well, actually, it's not really a bad idea because there's a kind of a, a, a big style. When I was when I was in Argentina, I mm-hmm. saw a lot of Goza uh, sour beers with salt in them. And so when when Dennis said a, a pickle beer, that's what I imagined is a, a Goza with uh, um with some pickle character and certainly, you know, people drink, um, cucumber vodka. Mm -hmm. So we could go down that road, but then the problem comes that if we have a brand calendar that has 20 different brands and we're all nose to the grindstone, if I took on the job of making a pickle beer, I'd love to, and it would be fun, but it's going to take me away from doing other things like getting raw materials ordered for, Pilsner or, or IPA or, or, or fine tuning a recipe or whatever, that's more, more important. And so maybe that would be something that we'll do in a year when I'm not so manic, uh, and busy. Well, yeah, it seemed like this year you guys kind of took on 
you know, and I, and I said this to Deb before, it seemed like you guys kind of took on a task of, of, you know, for your 30th, getting a, a few more new brands, uh, brands out there. Yeah. Um, would, did that present, uh, additional challenges for you on the sales side and for you on the production side? Go ahead. Dennis. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does, but it creates excitement too. Uh, like you and I talked about last time, going to visit on-premise accounts, they like something new. So creating something new at least once or twice in a year is fantastic. I loved our brand calendar this year. I absolutely adored it, to be honest. I think it's the best brand calendar we've brought out ever, to be honest. Uh, the Pilsner did great. The 30th anniversary tasted phenomenal. I think no, I love was, that I think beer. It was love that a, beer so I think it's tasted really good now, too. I mean, we just tasted it in taste panel, and, and right now it's in its sweet spot. So if you have some, I would drink it now. Uh, I'm going to go up to the hill after this and get some. So our, our brand counter was so well-rounded. Like Dan talks about being a football team. I think we had all of our special pieces that we wanted to in the perfect road to make happen. Now, when you walk into the brand counter for next year, how do you one-up yourself? What do you do different? What do you do the same? How do you talk about Pilsner, the success, or how IPA is doing right now? How does that fit in a brand calendar? Does that take away from something? Does it? How do you massage that team once again to get all your special pieces to then grow on top of 2023. How do you do that? And that's, uh, you, you push your distributors a little bit more uh, to ask for what you want. And then you also turn around and go, Dan, we would like to see this made. Where would that fit into that team? And Dan goes, well, I really like that idea. We should we should put it in here. We should knock it out during the summer with this brand and we'll, we'll look to do this. And, and then on the production logistics side, how difficult was it sort of going into this year knowing you were going to be, to be launching a few different new brands? And, and we're coming off of, you know, two years in a row where you had gyrator, which was a, a hugely successful, hugely great beer and Imperial Wisen, which was one of my favorite ones. And I, I believe that's what it was called. The thumbprint. Uh, Doppelbach. Weizen Doppelbach. Imperial uh, Weizenbach was a beer we made many years ago. Yes. But, yeah. but it, it's the style, the style name you're saying is correct, but it, we called it Weizen Doppelbach. Which was a beer I absolutely love. So you had, you know, you, you've sort of been on this streak of creating, you know, at least one or two. And then this year, I think three new brand new, new brands right off the bat. Right. So how does that play out from a logistical and creative side? Does it start to, uh, does it just fire you up more or does it start to be like, all right, oh, I can yeah. pull off or. Oh yeah. No, it's, it is, it is energizing to me. I think, uh, everybody knows that, uh, that I, I love to make Pilsners. And so it kind of broke loose when, uh, you know, Pilsners, er, er, brewers talk about Pilsners and they drink Pilsners, but the Drinking public kind of just like ho hum. Mm-hmm. It's yellow and fizzy, and where's my IPA? So that's kind of the world that we were in in 2022. And so um, in 2022, I was asked by a hop broker, um, a farmers co op in Germany, hey, will you make us a, a Pilsner using our hops for the uh, craft brewers conference? I said, yeah, sure. So we can't make, you know, they only need like two or three kegs, but well, we can't make that small of a batch. So yeah. I said to Deb, Hey, how, how about I, how about you let me make, you know, a hundred barrels of this beer and we just sell it out of the brewery because you can't take too many beers and dump them on the wholesalers because things get, it's too much of a mixed message and they need to stay focused. So she didn't want to say, Oh, by the way, in addition, all the other things you have, now we have a pillstore <laughs> for you to find space for, because like Dennis said, they have so many brands. So we sold it out of the brewery and it's sold out in like some crazy fast way oh yeah so we made lots of pilsners over the year but for whatever reason it the zeitgeist is such that it it struck a chord with people so 
I then took the chance to say, well, you know, maybe it's Pilsners. I've been saying for 20 years, Pilsners are going to take off. Maybe they finally are. If you say it's Pilsners year for 20 years, one year it's going to be Pilsners Well, yeah, that's right. Like the, like the Cubbies. Yeah, exactly. Um, I saw that. I saw him win. So I was happy with that. Yeah. I do believe he did say it for the past nine years for all brand calendar meetings. There has been Pilsner conversation. Some sort of pills needs to be made. Yeah. And also IPA. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think the only reason IPA got in there is because, uh, the success of the uh, Pilsner, um, you know, emboldened us to, to try something even, you know, a little bit more different uh, than our usual uh, portfolio. I, I absolutely, I, I've been drinking a lot of that IPA to tell you, to tell you guys the truth. Like I absolutely love that IPA. I, I drank a lot of the Pilsner when it came out. And then when I, uh, when it sort of had its day and IPA came, like I, I absolutely love what you guys did with that beer. It's, oh, well, it's, thanks. it's so amazing. Thanks. It's also interesting too. Sorry to no, go for it. it. It's also interesting too to look back at the brand counters as you come to this meeting. Look at brands that you've made five, six, maybe ten years ago that maybe were ahead of the style category that's now now. Yeah, right. You know, and look for brands that we made like Blacktop was a black IP was part of it, but it wasn't it was a little bit before its time. Won a gold medal, but still was it before its time? Would it do better now today? And uh, we'll see. But uh, it's interesting to see different styles that we've made five, six, seven, ten years ago that are now relevant now or having success now. And we're like, we were, Dan was a pioneer. He thought of this uh, many years ago. And did we give it a chance again? Uh, do we think we'd uh, master that beer again? And that's, that's part of the Well, there's definitely a collective consciousness. There's definitely mm-hmm. a, uh, um, a, a common uh, appeal, a common flavor. Like, you know, like I was talking to Deb about this. Is like there are people that, I, I believe that their full-time job is to figure out what the color is going to be next year for like cars or <laughs> yeah. clothes. And, and I mean, we joke about that. Uh, but, but I, I do think that trying to understand what's coming next, where, what people will appreciate. And a lot of it has to do with the mo- mood of the country. Like, like there's a lot of houses nowadays that are being built that are black. And I was saying to Deb, yeah. you know, maybe that comes about from the dour mood, you know, three, four years ago, everybody was bummed out. And, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, the capital was being stormed and people were feeling black, but now <laughs> it, it, it's been a bit of a bummer. Yeah. It has been a bit, at least for me. And so now, um, there's a sense of optimism. So I, I see these cars on the street that are like bright fluorescent, like a, you know, like a Irish village, you know, these lots of pastel or Jamaican yeah. village, lots of pastel colors. And so there's a sense of optimism. So, so things kind of come and, and go in style and we're not faddish per se, but we do pay attention to, obviously we have to sell beer. Yeah. Well, and you're, you're, you're as a creative person in this space, you're going to have a natural inclination to follow what's going on. Now you might not necessarily chase every fad or every fad catches your interest, but to think you, you aren't paying it, you guys aren't paying attention to it probably would be uh, misguided. I guess if you, if we're going to go to the trouble to make thousands and thousands of 12 packs of cans of a beer, our hope is, is that we'll be able to sell them. That's that's someone out there likes it. Yeah. We don't want to use them to build a house or something, use them to build walls, but hopefully we can sell the beer. And now when you're out there and your guys are out in, in, in the marketplace and you guys are seeing what's going on and, and sort of where, you know, the trends and the movement is happening. Is that stuff you're thinking about and then bringing to the brand calendar meetings or how does the, how do those discussions go when you guys are seeing like, well, you know, every third 
beer out there seems to be like a, some sort of hazy milkshake IPA or a few years prior to that. Oh, geez. Every second beer seems to be some sort of like hazelnut chocolate Imperial 13 percenter. So how do those things play into mind from like there's, the sales there's, side? There's been a, a, a dozen different crazes have been in the last 10 years. I mean, everyone have made a bourbon barrel stout for the longest time. That was the biggest thing. Make a bourbon barrel stout, bring it out. It's especially the thing. Pumpkin ale. Yeah, pumpkin, pumpkin ale. Pumpkin beers. That was a big thing. Yeah, your hazy IPAs, your, your imperial IPAs, all that stuff. It's changed. It changes every year. And that's why Dan has this insight of knowing, uh, a very good insight of what's going on, in the hopefully in the future, so we can understand what's going on. But we watched, uh, we, I, I watched a ton of numbers, look at a ton of numbers just to see who's doing what, why are they doing it? Is it price point? Is it distribution? Is it the new style that's coming out? You know, I've looked at these seltzers and that's uh it's there but is it doing something is it not is that what the customer is looking for are they looking for healthy are they following alcohol are they following carbs are they following calories uh, or price or price, or price point yeah, yeah. so it, there's there's a lot going on in the beer industry there's 9500 craft breweries everyone's getting into the category it's ultra competitive but how to find your way of what's the best for neglaris and how to take advantage of the openings that we have um that's fun to do well, yeah, it seems like when you guys are talking brand calendar and you're thinking about what to bring back or, or, or even like, okay, we're going to try to make something new. And you're and if you're thinking about what's going on out there, it's almost like out of all the details, you're trying to pick a, the, the right needle out of the needle stack. You, you, you know what I mean? Because there's just so much of, of the same thing or so much of like, because that's what a trend is, right? It's so much of the same thing, but then picking out the detail of, but why? And how can we do that a little different or this is why we'll pass up on it, I guess. Well, you do it either. You follow it and you do it better than them. And that's why you go to your distributor and say, this is our plan that we want our distributor to do this, this, and this. And this is what we ask you to execute it to then have that beer succeed. Or do you just put it in there and see what happens? Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's a matter of uh, how you feel the beer fits in the category and how the nuclearis uh, way of getting it to market happens. And that's, uh, that's fun. And then when I, you know, and I brought up asking about the pickle beer again, just because, you know, and and you answered it sort of in the way I thought you that thought you would, Dan. In that, like, I am very predictable. Well, it, when, it's not that. It's just like I knew in, in your mind, just like, oh yeah, I'm not just gonna put pickle juice in a beer. But thinking about it, like, oh yeah, here are the components to that. How can I, you know, approximate something that's different but kind of like that flavor profile? So when you see what's going on out there, does that spark those same thoughts in your head of like, oh, I don't want to do that, but that brings up an interesting question, that sort of thing. Uh, y- yes, it definitely does. And, and Deb and I talk about this a lot. You know, you, you mentioned about the, the why, why people do what they do. And, and that mm-hmm. consumes a lot of Deb's time. Deb is, I, I'm, I think more about what is, and this is what's happening. This is what I observe. And Deb is, thinks more about why, why is it this way? Why do people want this? And she tries to dig down to really the reasons. And that's more important than, and then seeing to observing what's happening is great, but to really understand why it's going, going on is what you need to understand what the next move will be. So, um, mostly for our major brands, it will maybe we'll have long conversations, but in the end, all together, all of us. And but in the end, it's really Deb is saying, look, this is the direction. 
that uh, we need to go and she will give a verbal description of what the beer should taste like and maybe even what she's going to call it and um, what it should all be about. There are instances when there's something that's kind of beyond the pale esoteric beer Mm. that I want to make and she'll just say, you know, just whatever, just do what you want. But it's not going to be a 3,000 barrel brand. It's probably going to be a 100 barrel brand or a 10 barrel brand if it's really esoteric. Yeah. Which gets back to your original question about these categories of beer all the way from year round down to R&D and everything in between. You know, we have our seasonals, we have our secondary seasonals, and they all are exist for a specific purpose. And sometimes these crazy beers uh, that I brew are just small uh, R&D projects just something to have fun with because the idea caught your head yeah, and also to learn maybe to try a different hop or a different yeast or a different process. Uh, and maybe those will be adapted for our more bigger beers. Yeah. Cause you can never know how that kind of experimentation will play yeah, dividends right. down the, down the road. That's right. So I was looking back through cause like, um, uh, the keeper of the calendars basically sent me all of them back from like 2004. And it was really interesting looking at the 2004 brand calendar. Cause it was like spotted cow year round, uh, fat squirrel year round. And then like some of the, uh, what would be seasonals look like they were sort of blocked in year round too. Um, but it brought up an interesting question in my mind of like, so like, especially like a beer, like uh fat squirrel, right? That for a long time became like a year round, a year round beer because brown ales were having their moment that beer was probably selling. How does the determination get made in in these brand calendar meetings? Like, oh, gee, I think something's ready to sort of graduate up to a year round kind of a kind of a deal. Well, you have to look at what's going on with the style of the category. What at the time, brown ales, like Dan was talking about, amber lagers are big. Well, it's a very drinkable, dark hazelnut brown ale so it was interesting to the category and newcastle was a big newcastle yes which i don't think you'll find newcastle in the market anymore but at that time that style was huge and dan had a nice spin off with the hazelnut on top of it to make it super drinkable instead of newcastle which took the world by storm i think we even made 12 pack bottles at one point for a while that's how big that brand was oh yeah it was it was i drank a lot of fat squirrel in 2000 that's about like my prime college age age and i i loved fat squirrel if i oh four on yeah and after moving that from a year-round to seasonal, I think that's our number one request of beer when they, they email into the brewery. I, I think Dan Jolly says that all the time. I think fat squirrels are number one asked for. And it's like every time we have it, it, it does well. It has its purpose. It fits. does well. sells out the time frame that we want it to. And after that, you're like, it did well, but do I want to do more? Do I not want to do more? How do I perceive this brand going forward for the next year? So that's, to me, that's been an interesting, it's an interesting brand to see where it fits and how it goes into the calendar. When we stopped making Fat Squirrel all year round, I had a couple of women here in New Glarus that were like ready to kill me uh, <laughs> because that's kind of like they lived on it. Yeah. Uh, but the the reality of the situation is going back to the football team analogy, um, uh, Elizabeth and our tracking team puts together numbers with Dennis and we see what's what the, what they're doing. You know, what 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 beers up from last year, what beers down from last year. And if a beer is underperforming, it goes to the minors. It goes, you know, it goes, it gets, goes to the farm league mm-hmm. and um, it doesn't, it, it gets demoted and it's just the way the world works. And, and uh, as you were kind of alluding to, there is a, a ebb and flow of, of beer and sometimes uh, of appreciation for a different yeah. brand. So sometimes a beer, um, will will start out like like strawberry rhubarb and it, mm-hmm. it it didn't really 
do very well. And then a few years went by and we made it again and people just loved it. So sometimes uh, beers come in and out. They, 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 they get better and sometimes they, um, they run their course and they start to atrophy and they need to be um, uh, sent down to the miners. Uh, it's just kind of the, it, it, we just look at the numbers and see what's selling. It be, again, it's not us saying, we're going to push this beer. We're, we're going to push Spotted Cow. Let's come up with a marketing plan and trick people <laughs> into drinking it. That's not at all. what That's like 180 degrees different than what we do. We just look at what's selling and then we react. It would be absolutely hilarious if you guys started like a huge marketing push for Spotted Cow like tomorrow. Yeah. You, you know, like, like after all this time, it was time for the Spotted Cow commercials to hit the yeah, air. Yeah. Yeah. For the Super Bowl. <laughs> for the Super Bowl. So we are this July. We're halfway through the calendar year um, going into the, the, the fall seasonals that are already scheduled. But as you guys say, the next year is always on your mind. So, you know, and as vague as you want to be. You know, what do you, from a sales perspective, a production perspective, what is on top of your head for like what 2024 may look like in the craft beer scene? I think the craft beer scene, uh, you're going to see it here this fall. I think uh, the lager category continues to roll as as light beer slows down a little bit. Uh, I think the craft brewers are making heck of a good lager these days. And I think easy drinking uh, beers are staying about it. Uh, the IPA category will continue to stay where it's at. Uh, it's going to be a matter of what the pocketbook says and what you can afford. I think price point in the, in the overall beer is going to be tell you how the beer category does. Uh, I'm excited about our calendar cause it's, uh, we're focusing on totally naked. We're focusing on, uh, great loggers that we've made in the past. And I think that's going to, that's going to build us up into 2024. Uh, surprising I'm saying already, but build us up into next year as you, as you move forward. Any, I, anything to add there, Dan? Well, I, I'm, we left our, uh, when we have our brand meetings, we have Dennis and his people and Deb have, have their own pre-meetings and they get their ducks in a row. I have pre-meetings, impromptu meetings with my team to get our ducks in a row. Dennis and I pass each other in the hallway and we have quick two or three minute conversations. Mm-hmm. So we're already formulated with something. So, and then Elizabeth puts together all of the numbers that, you know, Dennis and her, and Kayla have worked through and they come with all of their numbers and we're sent the numbers beforehand and we're all, we're all prepared. And, uh, we had two meetings and we left the last meeting thinking like, this is really, this is our best more than once. I heard people say, this is the best, best brand calendar that we've ever had. So I have a sense of optimism that the kind of the world is turning. Certainly there's a lot of not a negativity with, you know, negativity with, uh, you know, with, with weather, uh, mm-hmm. change, climate change. And, you know, we have a war in Europe, but in spite of that, I'm seeing a sense of optimism here, at least in Wisconsin, I'm seeing more traffic on the roads. I'm seeing people out shopping more. So 2024 is, <laughs> if, if things continue the way they are, which you never know, I think 2024 is, will, should be a good year for us. And, this morning, I, I spent most of the morning and actually last night in the evening um, working on hop contracting because mm-hmm. I got to get a jump on it. I mean, uh, you know, harvest is coming up and, you know, we're, we're looking at beers for January that I need to get brewing. Uh, I need to get hops. So there's a bit of a panic because right now um, Europe has having their second year in a row of doom and gloom drought and no rain and they're yeah. only 20% irrigated. So they're, they're frying again, a second year in a row. Um, 
And so it's, uh, it's a scramble. Well, I think this has been a great conversation on how, you know, you guys sort of think about these things and how you guys put together these, these brand calendars year over year and how, you know, to me, the most, what's really interesting about this sort of stuff is like, you know, you, you want to think like as a consumer, right? It's like, oh, they decided to make this beer four days ago and then they started making it and it showed up like, you know, a week and a half later and, and they can sort of move on a dime on this stuff. So I think it is important for people to sort of get an idea of how much, you know, runway there really needs to be to produce one of these brand calendars and how much thought really does actually go into it. If you guys have anything else to add, uh, you're certainly welcome to it. I think the interesting part of our brand calendar too is not, it's not just getting the brand calendar together, but it's the fun afterwards. Uh, once again, I'm a big numbers guy. So sitting down with a, with a, with a computer screen and a pencil putting in, how much moon man are you going to make next year? By the way, uh, how much two women do you plan on making? And by the way, we're going to make this fruit beer that we haven't made in four years. How much do you think we're going to make? And it's going to come out this time and how much we're going to do that. I, I think that's where my, where I hang my head on is how close do I get to the forecast to what we, what I think we're going to make, <laughs> a year from now, if not uh, 18 months from now. And how close does it come to uh, your forecast and how big a smile do you create in your face when you exceed your forecast or do you hit it right on? Uh, I think that's, that's the fun part of my world is uh, seeing it come to fruition. See, the world needs people like Dennis. Cause I swear to God, people who can smile talking about numbers. Yeah. <laughs> they, we, we need people like Dennis. Cause like, I would not be smiling in my whole my, like if my thing was like oh man I'm just gonna geek out over these numbers yeah like, he's got pages of spreadsheets with you know columns you know Excel sheets that are like just full with numbers and uh, it's not not my thing <laughs> well I thank you both for your for your time and uh, here's here's to a great rest of the the summer into the fall seasonals and all and all that good stuff and I'll be I'll be anxiously awaiting like everybody else when uh, Craig posts the the quarterly brand calendar yeah. fingers crossed fingers crossed you guys have a good one thank you 